reminding ourselves that how are we, our lives are an offering to the Lord, given to, to live for Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And uh, so I want to enjoy to sing those songs and causing us to reflect upon um, the life that we live for Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. As we complete our series through the book of Titus this morning, we've been studying it for the last uh, half year or so, and so we're about to complete it now. So it's a a joy. Just as a a prayer request, uh, please be in prayer this week as you can think about if you kind of, you know, some high schooler that might have gone up to CBM camp. This is the week of CBM camp, so pray for them. Uh, They'll probably be leaving tomorrow morning, I believe. Uh, I know our counselors, many of our who serve are already, uh, have already left, and maybe some of you are leaving after this, and so we just uh, pray for our counselors, pray for our campers uh, this week at CBM camp. Our junior high camp just ended, and so, uh, you know, no decisions were made. Excited to see and hear what God uh, is, has done and is doing to the lives of, uh, of our students. Also, please be in prayer for our, our uh, upcoming new stu- assistant pastor, Pastor Raymond and his wife Kelly. They will actually be packing up their home today, and they're packed up their U-Haul, and they're going to be driving up after, I think, after the, their services. They're probably already out of service and packing up and getting ready to uh, drive up here. They're going to be driving up and then arrive later on tonight where the, some of our brothers are going to be helping them unload in their new place. So uh, next week, we'll be welcoming our two new assistant pastors more formally, we actually, just as an announcement to all of you, uh, if you can, those of you that regularly attend second service, it's easy. Right after second service, we're going to have an, uh, an installation service for them, brief, usually about, uh, you know, I'm thinking 15 minutes or so, an installation service uh, where we want to just install our new pastors, welcome our new pastors, and give you a chance to greet them. Um, you know, there'll probably be cake and something like that, something nice afterwards, and so stick around for that. Uh, and please do greet our new pastors. That'll be next week, next Sunday after our second service. All right, Um, and with announcements having been said, uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 is what we're going to look at this morning. And these verses, uh, you know, a lot of times when we come to passages like this, it's just the, the, it's just sort of like final words, final greetings. In fact, I I couldn't decide on the the title. I was like, are these uh, concluding concerns, uh, final words, final instructions? I kind of think I use all three titles along the way, so um, don't mind the different title that you see up here. But uh, you get the idea that they're just final words. They're really just, <clears throat> they're kind of like, when I come across a uh, passage like this, I sort of sometimes feel like I'm reading a genealogy. They're kind of just really uh, some names, places, do this, do that, uh, final kind of uh, instructions. But we can really learn a lot from this passage uh, that we're going to look at today. So Titus chapter 3, verse 12, 15. Let's look at these final concluding concerns, final instructions that Paul gives to young Titus, who is serving on the island of Crete. Paul writes this, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. In grace with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this final passage in the letter to Titus. And as we open up your word, may your spirit teach us once again. Help us understand the, uh, these words, not just uh, as the instructions that they were for, from Paul to Titus, but that we would see the principles that uh, we can glean from this, not only helpful for Titus in his day, 
and for the Cretan believers in their day, but, Lord, helpful for us in our day as a church of Jesus Christ. We pray that, uh, that you would uh, give us a, a bigger perspective, a clearer per- a biblical perspective on the ministry that you have entrusted to us as followers of Christ, and that it may charge us and encourage us to be faithful in this work, this good, these good works that you have created us for. These things we pray for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you've probably all heard of uh, the importance of perspective, right? Perspective. That sometimes it's about seeing things in the proper perspective that helps us uh, to react to any given situation or circumstances. Our perspectives influence us. They influence how we respond to a difficult, uh, difficult uh, situation. They help us respond to uh, difficult trials. And, or, and I, I, in fact, I, I saw this kind of uh, illustrated in a kind of humorous way recently. Uh, I was, you know, on Instagram. And uh, you guys on Instagram, you know what that is, right? Okay. Yeah, if you're under 40, you should know what Instagram is, right? Or 30 at least, for sure. Anyways, but, you know, that's the... Uh, that's what Facebook used to be, essentially. But anyways, uh, Instagram, so photos and videos. And I saw this. If you follow uh, Stephen Curry, anybody follow Stephen Curry on Instagram? Anybody a Stephen Curry fan? Oh, man. I can't even get you to say amen to that. I ain't going to say amen to anything else. All right, so that's, that's great. You guys are just so heavenly minded. You don't even know who Stephen Curry is. <laughs> Wonderful, I understand. Well, anyways, he's some, some guy that was in Beijing uh, recently, and he was uh, doing some basketball thing there. I don't know why, but anyways, there's a, there's a video of him, and if you follow his, uh, you know, his uh, Instagram account, you see him basically getting down on this glass floor to do some push-ups, okay, push-ups. You know, Stephen Curry, NBA ball player, he could probably do like hundreds of push-ups if he needed to, right? But so he's doing a push-up, and it's kind of cool, because and eventually as he's doing push-ups on this, he does like one or two, and then all of a sudden, he, you realize that this glass floor that he's on, is, it's one of those, it's, at first it's opaque, you can't see through it, but then eventually you realize it's one of those, uh, I think it's like those photochromatic, those smart glass, you know, where you kind of, with a little electrical switch, it just turns it from being opaque to, you know, to translucent. All of a sudden, it's clear, and then you can see below. And so you realize as he's doing this push-up, all of a sudden, it, it turns clear, and you see what he sees is that he's looking down. I believe it's about like 750 feet down, okay? All the way down. It's just a gla- nothing but glass beneath him, and it's dro- 750 feet drop down to the floor. He's apparently he's in the CCTV headquarters in Beijing. Anyways, uh, but it's kind of cool because you can't go there unless you're important. And so he's important, obviously. So he's, and all of a sudden, you think, you know, he's going to keep doing his push-ups, right? Well... <laughs> I think it takes a brave, oh, it takes a foolish person, or something's wrong with your brain. But eventually, he, all of a sudden, he sees a new perspective of what he's doing. It's nothing but glass to his death. So all of a sudden, Seven is like, oh, he just like rolls, just rolls right off the glass. And he's just like, in a, kind of in a shell, you know, like, because it's, it's pretty freaky, obviously. And if you have fear of heights, I have fear of heights too, like that. I'm like, I don't think I can handle that. I probably wouldn't even stand on it. I wouldn't even want to stand on that thing. Uh, but uh, the, the Chinese, you know, just China and their obsession with glass, plate, glass floors and glass heights. It's just, you go anywhere in China, you find one of those places. Anyways, this is crazy. So perspective changes. It causes us to fear. It causes us to react to a different situ- situation. When you didn't realize anything, obviously, you know, well, you get the idea. Perspective influenced how he re- responded. I actually heard a more serious thing 
that has to do with perspective. Uh, I was watching a YouTube video, a speech given by some a woman. She's quoting a, a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust. Um, and, and he gave this theory, and it, it, was a, it was a formula on, and he said it was D equals S minus M. D equals S minus M. I thought, wow. And, and she explained it, what he meant by it. And that is, to the extent that people despair, your despair is equal to your S, your suffering, what you're facing, minus M, meaning. Minus meaning. That the extent you experience despair is when the, the greatness of your suffering, absent of any meaning. When you're in a circumstance, when you're in a difficulty, and the hol- people who were in the concentration camps, as he was, experienced tremendous suffering. But those who survived and did not dis- end up despairing and wanted to end their lives found greater meaning in why they're in their suffering. And, that's just a, and he, you know, he was kind of talking about, you know, this was a Jewish man. But I thought, oh, that's, a, that's another illustration of perspective. As Christians, we know that we live in a world that is full of afflictions. The scripture call it momentary and light afflictions even. But momentary and light afflictions in the perspective of eternal light that we have with God the Father, that it does not compare our greatest trials here in this world are momentary and light compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in heaven with Jesus Christ. Knowing that we have eternal life in Christ makes whatever trial you face here on earth uh, that which more readily endured. The final verses, and, and so the final verses of Titus is a, serves to help us to have perspective, particularly a perspective in the ministry of the gospel. And it gives us an, an eternal perspective, if you will. As Christians and as a church, we all are involved in uh, a difficult endeavor. We're, in, called to, we're involved in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are called to be faithful to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are disciples of Christ, saved by the gospel, and commissioned to proclaim the gospel. It's not the task just of pastors. It's the task of all of us as Christians. But as you and I know, especially of those of you that are older in the faith, the ministry of the gospel is not always easy. It is filled with challenges. It is filled with discouragements. There are times that it it can very much become wearisome. And many are tempted to just give up and sit down on the sidelines. The longer you live, the greater the temptations becomes. And it's at times like that that we need a perspective reminder. We can find this perspective in our text. As Paul writes these concluding instructions, we're going to note that he gives four final words of instruction to Titus. There are actually four imperative commands. Each verse has one command. They're each related to Titus's ministry. So they're commands with regards to his ministry. But as we look at them, they're very specific to Titus. Yet I believe as we look at this text, we're going to find that there is a perspective in these instructions. A perspective that was helpful for Titus. A perspective that's helpful for you and me as we go about this calling that we have as disciple makers of Christ. We're all called to be disciples of Christ and that we would be faithful in doing this. We're not here just to be engineers and doctors or, or dentists. That's just what we do here temporarily. We're called up on earth to do those things for the purpose of the greater calling to make disciples of Jesus Christ of all the nations. So these four final words, four commands related to Titus' ministry, in them we're going to learn lessons on the ministry of the gospel. 
As an outline, we're going to look at four final instructions that give perspective for Titus, as well as those involved in the gospel ministry. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Then you are involved in the ministry of the gospel. And we all need this perspective that we might be faithful in this endeavor, that we would not quit, that we would not sit on the sidelines. We all sometimes get knocked off our feet. We all sometimes, some of us here, I'm sure, are sitting on the sidelines. And whereas we need this perspective to get back in, to be encouraged of what we're about. All right, let's, uh, let's take a look then at these four instructions, four instructions that give us perspective on ministry. The first instruction is this, that ministry involves moving people around the world. Ministry involves moving people around the world. We're finding this in verse 12. When I send, uh, Paul writes, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. The specific instruction here is for Titus. And it's, uh, Titus is to make every effort to go to Paul in a place called Nicopolis. So it's basically just telling him, hey, meet me at this place. As best as you can, meet me here. And at that time, uh, where is Nicopolis? Well, Nicopolis, it was a, the name of a, several cities in that day, about nine of them. Uh, the most well-known, however, and the one that's most likely referenced here, is one that was located in southwest Greece. On the, uh, and it was located near the, uh, a city or town named Actium, where a famous battle was fought, where Augustus Octavian Caesar, uh, defeated Antony and Cleopatra in 31 BC. And so Augustus then, basically as a memorial to his great victory, built this city, uh, was called Nicopolis, this city, Nike meaning victory, polis, uh, city, the city of victory. So you can just imagine whenever there's some big battle at some significant location, uh, some Caesar would then say, well, let's, I'm going to build a Nicopolis here. And they build, so there was a bunch of these places. But this was the most famous and it was believed that when Paul wrote this uh, letter uh, to Titus, that he was somewhere in Macedonia. So that's kind of north. Uh, if you think of uh, uh, Achaia in the south uh, of modern-day Greece, Macedonia is to the north, the northern part of modern-day Greece. Uh, so that's kind of uh, where Paul was. He's perhaps in Philippi. His intention here, he says, is that he, wants, he has decided to spend the winter in Nicopolis, now, basically, he's not just giving his, uh, his winter travel plans. This is my here. By the way, here's my winter vacation plan. I'm going to go do some skiing, some snowboarding out in, in uh, Nicopolis. I just want you to join me there. We're going to have a great time. We'll just, you know, we'll just drink some coffee and chill. No, that's not what he's talking about. When he uses this phrase, I want to winter in Nicopolis, when you see this kind of phrase in, in the Pauline writings as well as in Acts when it comes to his journey, it is a hint here indicating what Paul's intentions are. Because the winter months in that region were not suitable for sea travel. Remember when Paul, on his, mission, on his fourth missionary journey to Rome, remember on the island of Crete how they shipwrecked there because of, it wasn't they were cramming the winter months. It wasn't a good time for sea travel. It was, it was getting near that time. And so generally people just don't make these long sea journeys during the winter months. And so they would winter at a, at a, at a port, at a, usually a, a seaport, and waiting then for the winter to pass, for the first kind of signs of, that it was safe to sail, and then they would sail from there. And so when he says he's going to winter in Nicopolis, he's, made, he's intending to say, I'm going to make a, a long sea journey. I'm going to go somewhere else. Perhaps his intention is to go to Spain. 
Um, but before he gets there, he wants to meet Titus. So he's going to be gone for a while. He plans to be gone for a while, so he wants to make sure he meets up with Titus to maybe get a report of what's going on in Crete, but also to give Titus some further instructions. Of course, before Titus could go there, Titus has some remaining work to do in Crete, right? Titus chapter 1, verse 5 tells us why uh, Paul left Titus there. He left him in Crete so that he would appoint elders in every city and also to set in order the things that remain. So not only was he to appoint faithful elders, teachers of the word, but also he was to sit in order what remained. When some of those things were to refute the false teachers as well as to encourage um, some of the saints to godly conduct. And so while uh, Titus was doing all that, Paul recognized that there was be a continued need, and so he told Titus that he intended to send a replacement. His replacement, he, he has two men in mind here, Artemis and Tychicus. We know little of Artemis. It's the only place in the Scripture we find him. He's just, that's his, this is it. But Tychicus we find in several places. He was a, um, he was a believer from Asia Minor. He was, a, a, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4, he served uh, the Apostle Paul by delivering the letters that Paul had written from prison to both the Ephesian church, Ephesians 6.21, as well as the Colossians, according to Colossians 4.7. So he was faithful to bring letters in, on behalf of Paul. So he's a faithful guy. Interestingly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, we learn that Paul, and I put uh, 9 through 12 here just to give you, uh, there's another reference I want to point to, that Paul has sent Tychicus to Ephesus, but Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. So at the end of Paul's life, this is about, 2 Timothy, remember, is written about four years, three, four years after Titus. So three, four years later, he writes that Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. So if Tychicus has gone to Ephesus, <clears throat> it's possible then that instead of Tychicus arriving in Crete, Paul actually sent Artemis to Crete. Artemis likely was is most likely the one who would, was sent to Crete to take over Titus's ministry. In any case, either of these men were qualified to take over his responsibility. Either of them were, would have been faithful shepherds of Christ's church on Crete, so that to set free Titus to travel to Nicopolis. But even for Titus, his travels don't, don't end in Nicopolis. Whereas you see the same passage in Second Timothy chapter four verse ten. By the end of Paul's life, where is Titus? Titus was sent or went to, to Dalmatia. Dalmatia was the, the northern part of Greece, north of Greece, on the western part, kind of the western, uh, the Adriatic Sea. <clears throat> so it totally makes sense geographically. Titus is here on the island of Crete, which is south of Greece. He travels eventually to Nicopolis on the, in the southwest portion of Greece. Then he eventually continues heading north all the way up to Dalmatia, that's on the northern part of Greece. So for Titus, he too is traveling, just as Artemis, Tychicus, all moving around. And while this instruction here that we read is, you, know, you just kind of read it, it just seems like plans that Paul gives to Titus. But it's, and it is just a personal ministry instruction from Paul to Titus. But I believe we can glean from this an important perspective. A realization that gospel ministry involves God moving people around the world. God moves people around for his purposes to accomplish his gospel ministry. He doesn't just move missionaries or ministers of the gospel. He moves all of his people, you and me. He's moved some of you here this morning. He's moved some of you just to be here, perhaps for a season, perhaps for the rest of your life. You never know. 
but God's moving us, and he's going to move some of us. Last week, we moved one of our, uh, one of our members, uh, Brother Aaron, uh, off to Kyrgyzstan. This is something that we need to understand. That if we are involved in the ministry of the gospel, God moves us around. God's going to move us around. And so, even though I've been your pastor for, I think, near 20 years, don't, we cannot expect that I will be here for the next 20. God may call me next week, next month, next year to go somewhere else. God may call you next month, next year to go somewhere else. God will bring different people along to minister the gospel in a certain place. For the time being, all of us are here. You and I, and by the way, I have no plans to go anywhere, just in case you're like, thinking that. I was just thinking, oh, is that what they're going to think? I'm going to dial that back. But God has called us all here to minister the gospel in this place for this time to this city. I mean, he may have some of us here for the rest of our lives. But as you and I know, you've been here for five years or so, or any couple of years, you realize that God brings a lot of people. This is San Francisco. I love San Francisco because God brings new people. I just met some of you today, and God brought you here from, uh, you know, all over the world, literally. Man. And God's going to move you on after your, your little your job, your, little in, your internship uh, ends, or your, your research ends, or your schooling ends. And God may bring you, move you somewhere else. He's moving you there not for your jobs, even though jobs or education or uh, family or marriage may be some of the reasons, but God moves us on for the purpose of the gospel. He will move us all as he wills. Next week, next week we're going to be welcoming two new assistant pastors, and even then, uh, and they're going to, we, God is moving a couple that has served uh, for the last 10 years in Los Angeles, and they're going to be coming to join us for, well, the Lord knows how many years. I think all of us would love to have them serve here for, with us alongside for many years ahead. But we cannot be surprised. We ought not to be surprised. We need to have a perspective that if the Lord wills, he will call even our young pastors, whether Pastor Roger, Pastor Raymond, elsewhere in his perfect timing. These things are part of God's sovereign will. You know, a lot of times we get, it's easy to get discouraged when, we, when, our, when our pastors move on. I know I, I missed our, our sister associate pastor when he moved on. And it's hard, you know, because you, you really come to love the people we serve with. And in this room, a lot of you are going to move on, and we're going to miss you too. But when we have the perspective that this is, this is the nature of the gospel ministry, God moves us around. He may have us here for a season, but he may move us elsewhere. That helps us to continue to be faithful, to know that this is what happens. This is what happens in ministry. Well, that's my first ministry principle. Ministry involves moving people around the world. The, th- the second <clears throat> principle that we can learn here, and the second command that we observe in verse 13, and this lesson is this. The principle we learn is this. Ministry involves helping others minister. Ministry involves helping others minister. We read in verse 13, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is, nothing is lacking for them. Here is another personal instruction given by Paul to Titus. He's to help these two men, Zenos and Apollos, uh, these tra- two travelers on their way. The verb here translated help on their way, in the ESV it just translates speed along, speed on. 
means basically not just to, to, um, uh, to say, kind of make them hurry up and get out of here, but the idea the, in the context is, is basically to provide whatever they need so they may continue on their journeys. So if they need food, if they need money, if they need travel arrangements, if they need accommodations, help them so that they may continue and move on their way. And this was quite common in those days for missionaries to depend upon the generosity of other Christians, of churches, as they moved along from city to city. They depended upon the provision of the goodwill and the goodwill of the people of Christ. Paul and Barnabas, in fact, had been helped along the way by the Antioch church. And we see this verb used in different passages. In Acts 15.3, where when they traveled from Antioch to Jerusalem, they were sent on their way, that's the same verb here, by the church. They were basically provided means. Paul himself had sought the help of other believers in his missionary travels as well. He asked the Roman church for help on his way to Spain in Romans 15.24. He asked the Corinthian church for their help on the way to Judea in 2 Corinthians 1.16. So Paul was not reticent to ask for help for himself as a minister of the gospel from God's people for help to minister elsewhere. And so certainly he's not reticent to ask for help for other fellow ministers of his, like, uh, like uh, young Timothy in 1 Corinthians 16. He writes there, Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace. There's a send him on his way is the same verb that's help along the way, translated here in Titus. So that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. And so in the same way, now in our own verse, we see that Titus is asked by Paul to help Zenos and Apollos on their way. These aren't just guys that are just along their way, just traveling for no reason. These guys were fellow missionaries, fellow ministers of the gospel. Zenos was a, uh, a lawyer, and not in, the one, not in the sense of a Roman law. Some believe that he was, since his name was Roman, that he practiced Roman law. But lawyer, this word lawyer um, is used of everywhere in the scripture, it's used nine times, seven of those in the New Testament, in the Gospels. It's always used of a, an expert of the Mosaic law. It's used primarily in Luke, actually. But that aside, it's used two other places, both here in Titus. Once in chapter uh, 3, verse 9. They're talking about have those engaged in disputes about the law. That's the Mosaic law. So the, just the use of this verb would indicate, just by, the, by the com, the, how it's used throughout Scripture, that this is referring to Zenos is one, probably a scribe, an expert in Mosaic law. What's more, his companion is Apollos. He, too, was one who was a mighty in the law, mighty in the Scriptures. According to Acts 18 to 24, he was a, a minister, eloquent in speech, and mighty in the Scriptures. So these two then, Zenos and Apollos, two mighty men of the law, of the scriptures, were sent by Paul to come through on to Crete. Most likely they were the ones carrying this letter from Paul to Titus. And as they arrived, them, them being mighty in the law, mighty in the scripture, would then probably assist Titus in refuting the false teachers, in refuting their, their errors, their disputes about the law. And then they would continue on their way. They probably had another... A destination that after Crete they had to arrive at, perhaps back to Corinth. Um, but Titus, and by association, the rest of the Cretan church were then to help them along their way with their necessary resources. 
They, were to, they weren't just to say goodbye to them or just escort them. But you notice by the end of the last, the last part of this verse, so that nothing is lacking for them. That implies that the church in Titus is to provide for their needs. So they won't lack anything as they travel on. Although Titus himself is a minister of the gospel, his ministry includes helping others minister the gospel. Most of us tend to think of ministry, and all of us are here in Volnia, is we think of ministry in terms of what we say, what we do, right? What I teach, what I preach, what I uh, would speak to one another, someone else, what I do here in my local church, or what we do here in our local community, and the things, that, the good deeds that we do. But the gospel ministry also involves our giving and support of those who minister elsewhere, outside of our local church, outside of our local community. We usually call these who minister elsewhere missionaries. It's why we support missionaries here in this church, why we take up a love offering for those missionaries that are not on, even those that are not on our official support list, we'll take up a love offering when they come along because we want them to know that we want to send them on their way. We want them to not have any needs as they leave, our, leave us and go to do God's work elsewhere in the kingdom. Have you ever thought about this? That the biggest impact that you as an individual or maybe even we as a church will have on this world is not what takes place here in these, between these four walls. That in fact, the greatest impact that we will make in this world is through our ministry to those who minister elsewhere. Next week, in a little suburban church nestled in the quiet community of Issaquah, Washington. You ever been there? It's beautiful. You'll want to live there if you ever go there. But this little church will be celebrating its 25th anniversary. Um, and they will, you know, when they celebrate 25th anniversary, we just celebrate our 50th anniversary. We, uh, what do you, you know, they'll probably do similar things. You know, they'll ask people to send in videos and, you know, they'll take the show, have a slideshow. They'll have a big, you know, celebration. They're going to basically celebrate what God has done in and through that little local church that began 25 years ago with 30-some-odd people. They're going to rejoice in the lives of the church members that were changed by the unchanging world, by the unchanging word. I think that's their phrase, changing lives through the unchanging word. We're changing the world, even. Uh, they will find joy in all the missions trips that they've orchestrated, in all the retreats they've had, the best special guest speakers they've brought in. They're going to rejoice in the fellowship groups that they've had over the years, the many VBSs, day camps, outreaches, community outreaches that they put on. And they can document that through their videos and whatnot that they'll have. But they, what they won't fully realize, at least I don't think they will realize, and I don't think I fully realize, until they get to heaven, is that because they helped along the way four pastors, four pastors from that original 30, actually five pastors came out of that church that I know of for sure. Uh, many, of them, many of those originals are still there. But five different pastors, one's still there. Four of those pastors they've sent off to different places. They've helped these pastors along. One's in Los Angeles, One's in Phoenix, one's in Singapore, and another one's right here in this pulpit. 
San Francisco. This church, little church, sent off four pastors, helped them along the way uh, in the years, sent them off to the ministry of the gospel, prayed for them, supported them, remembered them, helped them pay for their uh, seminary tuition, gave them, helped them with food on the table at times. Um, <laughs> even helped one guy pay his taxes when he was, uh, when he found it, when he was surprised uh, by his big tax bill, I remember. <laughs> uh, you know, those, those pastors that they sent out, and, and there were missionaries along the bunch too. There are worship directors in that, in that midst, other ministers and deacons and church leaders that have spread throughout the, the country. Though, and each of those ministers that they sent out in turn has influenced other churches and they put on mission trips and retreats and fellowship groups and VBSs and, ret- and other outreach events. And so many lives have been impacted because of that little local church that they will not ever realize. Only God knows. You see, their impact is probably greater outside of their church because of the people that they've influenced, that they've touched, that they sent out. I'm excited for us as, as the Bible, we of uh, as leadership has really developed a vision. We want to be a church like the Antioch church we've talked about, a church that is a, a disciple-making, but a, not just a disciple-making, but a training church that will train up leaders and servants who not only will serve here, but we can send out elsewhere, send out to be church planters, to be missionaries, to, uh, to be pastors, to be le- leaders in other churches around the Bay Area and the world. We as a church must be willing to invest in new missionaries and young ministers, and we must be willing to let them go. And when we help others minister, we, we're multiplying the ministry of the gospel. And this is a healthy perspective for us as a church. This leads us to our third, a third ministry principle, third perspective, uh, helpful for our perspective, is that ministry involves learning to serve. And here in verse 14, Paul basically reiterates the main theme of the letter. He writes, verse 14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so they will not be unfruitful. In the context of verse 13, this, uh, this is an encouragement to, for the Korean churches to also partner in helping others minister. Again, we see this emphasis, main, the main theme of the book, that good deeds reflect sound doctrine, that godliness refl- is, should flow out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A gospel that doesn't change lives is a powerless gospel. It is not the power, if, it does, if, it's not, can, if it's the power to save you, it is the power to transform and sanctify you as well. But the instruction here is not so much just for Titus. It's actually, uh, the other commands are all second person singular. They're, they're directed to Titus. But this command that's here is third person plural. So it's directed to the Korean church, our people. It's directed towards them. And it's, and. This phrase, our people, as well as the phrase, those who love us in the faith, in verse 15, are a hint, really, that not everyone in the Cretan church were genuine believers. There are a lot of people attending the churches, but not all of them were genuinely saved. Of course, there were the false teachers. And they, too, could have, some of them could have been saved, genuinely saved. Some of them were, might have been genuine unbelievers. So some of them may have been false teachers. Certainly those who followed the false teachers, some of them might have been uh, unsaved as well. They, they thought they had salation in Christ, but in their conduct they neither reflected the, good, the, God, 
holiness of Christ nor the good deeds of Christ. There is no fruit. Essentially, there's no fruit in their lives. That's how you know. The fruit that they bear is not genuine fruit. It's false fruit. There's no fruit. And that's why Paul's instruction here is, is so significant, that genuine Christians, our people, are those who will learn to engage in good deeds. Are you engaging in good deeds? We saw this exact phrase back in chapter 3, verse 8, the summary verse of our, of our book. This is the main theme. You, you ever want to know what Titus is about? Highlight this right here. This is what Titus, 3, Titus is all about. That this is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, have you believed in God? Okay, this is you. That those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So those who are believers in Jesus Christ or experience salvation in Christ are going to be those who are careful to engage in good deeds. We've seen this already. So we're to think about, we're to be thinking about, pondering about how we can engage in good deeds. But here in our verse, it goes beyond that. It says we are to learn to do good deeds. And this learning is not just, well, let's go take a class. This is not just, let's go listen to a sermon about doing good deeds. This does not qualify as learning to do good deeds, learning to engage in good deeds. This word for learning is, really has the idea of learning by doing. A lot of times in the ministry, we learn a lot. We can learn so much by hearing, but you really learn something when you do it, when you do it, right? Many of us, as we go about making something, you just learn by doing. You just need to do it. A lot of times, it helps, of course, to watch someone do it first and then have them then watch you as you do it and then send you out to go do it. We learn by doing, by doing over and over and over. That's what we call practice. Practice makes better. Okay? In particular, we are to engage in good deeds that meet pressing needs. So we're to, to actually involve ourselves. We got to learn to do it. So just sometimes for many of us, we just need to take that first step of looking for some need and just go and try to meet that need. Small or great, just trying to meet that need. Um, pressing needs, though, are those that are urgent, necessary things. Those things that people can't accomplish on their own. They're, they're helpless. They, they don't have the resources for. Paul would encourage the Roman Christians uh, in similar, to be devoted one another and brotherly, contributing to the needs of the saints. Meet the, the, the needs, the pressing needs of the saints. See, when we serve others in this way, when we engage ourselves in good deeds, when we do that, we are unlike the false, the false believers. We show ourselves to be genuine believers because we bear fruit in our lives. See, fruit, and this, that's because that's, that's what the unbelievers were uh, revealing themselves, that they were being unfruitful. But when we engage in good deeds, we actually become fruitful. That's the fruit of our lives. Fruit, on one hand, reveals our spiritual health. It reveals a genuine faith in Christ. But fruit also fulfills the purpose for which we are saved in Christ, right? And this whole idea of picture of fruits is just a beautiful picture. You know, when we think about fruits, what is a, why does a fruit tree exist for? Just to be a fruit tree? No, it exists to bear fruit. It exists it is a lemon tree exists to bear lemons. An apple tree exists to bear apples. And those are the two trees I have in my yard. And if they don't bear fruit, I don't want to come down. In fact, as a funny aside, I, 
uh, two, three seasons ago, I have an apple tree in my yard, and it was, uh, it was just growing, and it, was, it like, had like hundreds of fruit, apple, Fuji apples, in fact, delicious. Uh, and so I said, oh, I'm going to prune it so it'll grow. Of course, I don't, I'm, I'm not a gardener, so I'm just pruning it and anyway, which way. And you know what happened the next season? I had like zero apples. <laughs> I guess I cut too much. I didn't, I didn't prune it correctly. So if you know how to prune apple trees, let me, I'll just, I've watched the videos. Okay. <clears throat> but now this year, guess what? I've not touched the tree and the fruits are coming back. That tells me that fruit tree is a healthy fruit tree, a healthy apple tree. The lemons just keep growing. They keep growing. You need one lemons, let me know. Uh-huh. It shows that our healthiness, but it's also why we exist. But you ever also think about this? Think about this. Have you ever thought about the role of fruit in the life of a tree? Yes, it's a necessity. Yes, it must produce it if it's to reveal its healthiness. But you realize this, and I read this somewhere in a commentary, and it's just an observation, that a fruit tree does not need its fruit. You ever think about that? What does the fruit tree need its fruit for? What does the apple tree, when it creates an apple, how does that apple tree actually help the apple tree? It has, in practical purposes, zero benefit to it. Zero benefit. And that's kind of, think about that for just, that, that apple tree gets all it needs from where? From its roots, the ground, of course. It gets all it needs from its leaves and then the sun that shines on it. And, but it produces fruits. And those fruits, though, are for others. It's for the sake of others to enjoy. But also, most importantly, those fruits eventually fall to the ground. If nobody picks it, they fall to the ground. And what happens in those fruits as, they de- as it you know, decomposes, goes in the ground, those seeds fall on the ground? What pops up eventually? Other fruit trees, other apple trees. See, that's why we bear fruit. We, as Christians, we bear fruit so that there will be others that are served. Others will grow out from our lives. We don't need them necessarily, but we exist. We are created in Christ Jesus so that we might serve others in this way. We must be other-centered people. We're not, we cannot be self-centered people. I'm going to do this because of what I get out of it. No, we do everything we do in the gospel for the sake of others. And the beautiful thing is, that's exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us. And that's our motivation for why we go about and live an other-centered life for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Can we say that? That we're here not to be served, but we're here to serve and give our lives not as a ransom, that ransom's been paid, but that we would give our lives so that others might find life too. We exist as a church. Ministry involves learning to serve. We need to learn to serve, be other-centered people. Thirdly, or fourthly and finally, this one's a quick one. Ministry involves Christians everywhere. Verse 15, Paul writes here, all who are with me greet you and greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Uh, this last instruction is simply a, a common Pauline farewell greeting. He gives, he gives greetings, and he gives a blessing. That's generally uh, how he ends his letters. Greeting, blessing. And he does that. First, he has the greetings. He sends greetings to Titus on behalf of all those who are with Paul. And then he says, uh, he tells Titus to greet all the people that are on Crete on behalf of Paul and, and his associates as well. That's the second greeting. 
So there's this greeting that goes back and forth. And when you think about greetings, you think, oh, that's basically just saying hi. But there's a, there's a significance in greeting one another. It, it shows love. Actually, the most common way to greet one another in those days was with what? A holy handshake. No, a, a holy kiss, right? Greet another with a holy kiss. And you don't kiss people you hate. You kiss people you love, okay? You should, you should kiss people you, you love. You know, this is, this is a sign of love, a loving concern that one believer, set of believers, has for another. This is an expression of love. This is, we love you guys, we're thinking of you guys, remember you all. And, you know, that's, and please, and that's, that's when we, there's an exchange of greetings. That's the expression of love. Secondly, uh, there's this blessing. The final, there's a final blessing that's given. Paul wishes upon the, the Cretan church, grace be with you all. In verse, the first part of verse 15, by the way, those pronouns, you and you, those are all singular. They're referring to Titus. But here, when it says, grace be with you all, and just by our English languages indicates it, is that this is now a second person plural. This is not just Titus. This is Titus and all who are with him, the Cretan church. By the way, just as a, this is one of those indicators to us that this letter is not just meant for Titus. You know, you ever get to come across someone and say, well, this is letters for Titus. So it only applies to those who are ministers of the gospel. No, right here, grace be with you all. There's implication. This is going to be read by you all. Yes, it's a letter to Titus, but he's going to read it to the Cretan church. He's probably going to read it because it gives him, you know, it just shows him, this is what Paul has asked me to do, and this is why I'm doing what I do for you guys. It's meant for the whole church. It's meant for them. But there's a, this blessing, grace be with y'all, grace be with you, is a common greeting, but let's not uh, for, take it for granted that this idea of grace, God's favor, God's unmerited blessing is what we all need. We need this all. You know, when we go about the ministry of the gospel, yes, we go about doing it as a responsibility, but we cannot do it in our own strength. Right? We can't do it in our own strength. You try to do everything in your own strength, you will fail. We all need God's grace. This is a ministry that depends upon and needs more of God's grace. God is the, is the source of our grace, Titus 1.4. God, uh, God is, our salvation is dependent upon the grace of God, Jesus Christ, appearing. And thirdly, we are justified by grace so that we can become heirs of eternal life. See, our gospel ministry is a message of grace, received by grace, and it's going to be delivered by grace. It's all dependent upon grace. And so we must recognize this. We, uh, we need to understand this. We're tied for Titus and for us, this all depends on God's grace. So Titus and his fellow believers are encouraged because not only do they receive a, a, a message of greeting, a message of love, but they're reminded too that like Paul and like, um, like the other believers around the world, that they all depended upon God's grace for their salvation, for their sanctification, and for their mission to make disciples of Christ. You know, a lot of times as a church, we, we tend to be focused just on ourselves, upon ourselves. And we, we can get to the place where we think we're the only church. We know we're not the only church, but you kind of... To live life like we are the only church. And it's important for us in the ministry of the gospel 
to know that we, ha- we have a relationship. We, we have a relationship with other believers around the world. And can you imagine for the early church when you're only maybe a few Christians in, a, in an island surrounded by a great number of unbelievers, it's a blessing to know that there are other believers who are thinking about you, loving you, praying for you, and concerned about what you're doing. It's why, uh, it's why we, sh- we sometimes, when we uh, send, uh, send the people off to other places, when we find out they're going to, we ask them to send our greetings to another church. I'll tell them, hey, give your greeting to the church there. We want them to know that we here in San Francisco care about them and where they are at too, whether the church is in Canada or, or Mexico or Asia or Africa or Europe or South America, wherever it may be. We have a relationship, a connection with all these other believers, one that's dependent upon, that's, that is one that is a, we should have a mutual love for one another, but also one that is reflected by our mutual dependence upon the grace of God. Ministry involves Christians. This ministry involves everywhere. We have the, we, <clears throat> Essa Bible is not going to fulfill the Great Commission by ourselves, Right? We're not even going to fulfill it in the city by ourselves. So we need to, we have a relationship with other believers. And this this is a healthy perspective to have. You know, yes, we may disagree with the churches. We have differences with other Christians on various doctrines and practices. But every genuine believer, unified by the common confession in Christ, by the gospel, the the true gospel of Christ, we're going to be unified. We have a one confession. We have one commission. And we share that same commission. It's helpful to know that there are other believers elsewhere. And I think this really helps when you go out in the world. And think about it. Our Great Commission is not just done here, but it's done fulfilled when you go out into the work, into your working world or your school. But how many of you, and I've talked to many of you who work in the world, it's a rare that you can find one or two other Christians at your workplace, and especially in your immediate group. It's, and it can be very difficult at times, especially if you work in a certain, some situations, some workplaces, they're just, uh, they're pretty cutthroat and, and uh, just got to watch your back all the time in the world. But when you, when, you get, when you get your workplace, you're not just doing your work. When you're at school, you're not just going about school. You're sent there by God to fulfill your purposes, to make disciples there somehow, some way. You need to find other believers there. You know some of those believers? Oh, yeah, they're charismatic. They believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Do they believe in that? Oh, that's, oh that's, that's a four-point Calvinist. I'm not sure about that. Oh, that's Arminian. Oh, no, that, that, oh, that's a covenantalist. Oh, no, that, that person, that person does not, man, they, they don't even believe in inerrancy. Are they saved? You know, you find other believers. Find other believers where you are in your, when you're out in there in the mission field. You know, missionaries are going to stand and fall because of the partnership that they have with other believers. You're out there in the mission field. Find other believers to stand alongside. I know some of you work together. In the, I met up with a, those of you in the FIDI recently. You guys get together once in a while. Encourage one another. That's a great way to do it. If you can't find your company, find anywhere you, in the area that you work. Get other believers together. Pray for one another. Support one another. Encourage one another. Because ministry involves Christians everywhere. And we need Christians. We need praying for one another. I was encouraged recently. I just uh, received an email from one of the other local churches. 
uh, one of the young church plants, in fact, and they just asked me, hey, do you just, we're praying for the churches in this area. Can we, you have any prayer requests? And I said, oh. I was like, man, I'm too busy for this. But I was, as a retrospect, I was thinking about, how encouraging is that? Here's this little church, you know, and they're just praying for us. And uh, God, and I shared them with my prayer requests, shared them my deepest, darkest secrets. And, and then, you know, they're praying for, for me. You know, well, I didn't really share them that. But, you know, it's in broad, general things. And God's been answering. What do you know? God brings along <sighs> what we need through the support and the love and support of other saints everywhere. Well, these are the perspectives that we need. Our pers- ministry is long and hard, brothers and sisters, right? Man, I... And our perseverance in it is going to be affected by our perspective of it. What's your perspective of ministry? Do you get discouraged when other saints move along? When if, if I was going to move on from this church a year from now or next month, are you going to say, well, Pastor Henry ain't here. Huh? I'm outie. I'm gone. No, I hope not. I hope you realize, no, that's what God does. God moves people around. God moves his people. God will move some of you around. And we're sad when you move on. But as the elders, we always rejoice because we know that, well, it tells us that somewhere else in God's kingdom, there's a church that needs these people. And I'm very thankful for that. Are, are, we, are we a church that has a perspective of helping others minister? Are we kingdom-minded? We're going to release people to go. We want to support others that want to go to be missionaries, ministers. When, you know, we, I've always kind of thought about how this church is full of gifted leaders. And I always think about, man, I bet a good 20, 30 of you can probably go to some small church and pastor that church there if, God will go, if God's calling you to do that. God's calling a lot of us. God, we're filling us with a lot of church leaders here, faithful people. And God may call you elsewhere. Uh, thirdly, are we a church that's ready to serve? Are we other-centered people, other-centered church? Or are we a me-centered? What am I going to get out of this? What do I get out of the message? What do I get out of uh, the Sunday school class or fellowship group? Are we here to learn to serve, to, to meet needs as well, not just in our church, but outside the church? And then just remember that we have a, we're not in this alone. We have, we're, this involves Christians everywhere in the world. We all depend upon God's grace. And lastly, I just want to conclude with a reminder of our theme as we conclude Titus. This is a conduct manual. It calls for us, as, if we're Christians, if we're believers in the gospel, then we need to be people who reflect the gospel of Christ. That should reflect in our godliness. It should reflect in the good deeds that we do in our world. For doctrine, sound doctrine is one that's going to lead to sanctification. And, God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ that we hold to is going to lead to a godliness that reflects Christ and good deeds that also point to Christ. Because it is in this way that we will be salt and light to our world. All right? So hopefully the Titus has been a blessing to you. Let's live. Let's not just be hearers, but let's be doers of this word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. And pray that you would enable us to be a people are not just hearers, but doers. Help us not to be known for sound doctrine, but help us to be known for a church characterized by sanctification. Help us not to be known just for having a, a good grasp of the gospel, but help us to be known for godliness and good deeds in our, in not only in, the, in this church, but to our community. Lord, we have much work to do. We're not quite where we need to be yet. But Lord, we are aiming, we're continuing to be moving towards 
to fulfill the commission you call us to do. Help us be faithful, Lord, in this endeavor. Continue to challenge us from your word. Thank you for Titus. Thank you for this perspective that we've gained today from these verses. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus Christ, may you cause them to understand that what we do is not to earn salvation, but what we do is because of our salvation, because of your grace, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appeared to bring salvation to us, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, and that those who would, would today who hear this and are not yet sure of their salvation would today put their faith and trust in Jesus and join us in this great calling, this great commission you have for us as a church to make disciples, to bear fruit to our world that this world needs. Lord, we pray these things for your glory in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen.